This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. So their plan was they would work a career for 30 years and endure all this stress and trauma. And then when they retire, they'll be happy. Hi, and welcome to the EM Weekly Show, your emergency management podcast. And this is your host, Todd DeVos speaking. This week, we're talking to Kim Colgrave from Pause First and the author of A Mindfulness for Warriors. Kim has an impactful story and a mission to end suicide in the public safety and military ranks. This includes RNs, doctors, social workers, respiratory therapists, allied services at hospitals. It's a deep conversation. And today with the COVID-19 response, we're all under a lot of stress. Those of us in emergency management, those of us in the front lines, those of us at the hospital, those of us working at home, it's hard. During this time, stress is high. And we need to think about the responders, mental health, as well as the community's health. Now on to the interview. Kim, welcome to EM Weekly. Thank you for having me. So before we recorded this, we had a couple of conversations offline, and uh, your work is, is super impactful. So first, thank you so much for, for doing what you're doing and recognizing how PTSD and stress plays into the role of our first responders, uh, our emergency managers, and our and our dispatchers as well. So thank you for doing what you do. Mm, thank you for saying that. So you wrote a book. I did. I did. Uh, my book is called Mindfulness for Warriors, Empowering First Responders to Reduce Stress and Build Resilience. Uh, and I wrote that book uh, as a result of a tragedy that happened in my life. And I, I wrote the book to reach out to warriors. Initially, I worked with law enforcement, and then it sort of turned into all first responders. And then that really opened up to a, a much larger group that I would consider warriors. So that's anybody who is out there working on the front lines in service of community or in service of country. So it turned into social workers and clergy and nurses and others. But I wrote the book to reach out to these individuals and to let people know they're not alone and that others are struggling and suffering in the same way and to offer 
a couple of very simple personal practices to help people sort of begin to manage their own stress, learn to practice some self-regulation. And I guess I just looked at this as one little small way that I could help this these warrior populations because I appreciate them so much. We are in the midst of the largest healthcare crisis. Right. In modern history. In modern history. <laughs> yes, Thanks. Was, absolutely. Right. And we have doctors and nurses and paramedics and EMTs, law enforcement and emergency managers and whoever else is out there in the front line, social workers. My wife's a social worker and she's, she's dealing with this on an everyday basis. And it's stressful, stressful for all of us. And thinking about this topic in this time, I think it's really helpful to, to really understand that we all deal with stress in, in different ways. And when I was, when I was dealing with some of the issues that I had post event that I responded to, we were going through group talk, group therapy, if you will. And one of the guys really mentioned the idea of pebbles in the backpack and the wow. idea that it might not be this particular call that is dealing with our stress, but it's the, the layers and the pebbles of every time that you respond to something, you pick up a pebble and you put it in your backpack. And then those of us that are working together need to be able to recognize that sometimes that load may get heavy and you might have to help your 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 fellow paramedic, law enforcement, nurse, doctor, responder to, to help them carry that backpack for a little while. And I thought that was such a, a great analogy of that because people experience and process their, their response differently. How do you help people deal with those pebbles in their backpack? Well, first of all, I do feel that all first responders, emergency responders, everyone in this warrior group, each and every one carries one of those backpacks you're talking about. That's a great analogy. And one common thread in these professions is that the people who are taking care of society, the people who are rescuing and saving us are often not taking very good care of themselves. And so those backpacks just get heavier and heavier over the years, and they're not removing any of the pebbles. And in my book and in my classes, I talk about that in terms of how that how I believe that impacted my husband. So my husband was a police officer for eight years, and then he was a federal agent for 22 years. In the eight years that he was a police officer, I believe he endured a tremendous amount of stress and trauma and each incident was sort of one of those pebbles that he just kept tossing in that backpack and he carried that backpack and it got heavier and heavier and he carried it throughout his whole entire life because these tend to be what are known as suck it up buttercup type of professions. So when you encounter that stress and trauma in the, within the professions, traditionally it's just been viewed as part of the job. And if you can't take it, there's the door. This is the job. If you can't deal with it, you're probably in the wrong job. That was, that's sort of been the rhetoric. Absolutely. 
my push here, what I want to talk about is we've gotten that all wrong. I believe had my husband been able to deal with the stress and the trauma of the job as he moved through his career, I believe he would have been a better cop. I believe he would have been a healthier person. I believe he would have had healthier relationships. But he was a police officer in the mid-80s and, you know, for eight years. And that it was definitely a suck it up buttercup environment back then. Mm. Uh, so exactly what you're talking about with, with this backpack analogy. I encounter this over and over and over again when I speak with people on breaks or after my classes or when people reach out to me personally. They are carrying these very, very heavy backpacks just loaded up with what they've seen and heard and endured the secondary trauma or vicarious trauma that they've endured throughout their profession. And my fear for these people, if they're not allowed to deal with it, if there's context within the profession for mental and emotional wellness or help, and they're not allowed to deal with it, what happens then when they retire? Mm. And in my family, we learned the hard way what happens as my husband approached retirement after a 30-year law enforcement career. What I believe in hindsight is that in that year leading up to retirement, all of the buried and accumulated stress and trauma that had piled up inside of him, or to point to your analogy, that heavy, heavy backpack, as he approached retirement, all of that was still there. He hadn't processed it or he hadn't dealt with it. And I believe it all just sort of began to rush to the surface. Ultimately, he took his own life just right after retiring, less than three months after retiring. To answer your question, I'm really trying to encourage people to take a, a look at their mental and emotional health now. I'm encouraging organizations and agencies to support this and for everyone to realize you are a human being. Even though you have a, a tough job and stoicism and suck it up buttercup <laughs> has been the way of life, you have emotions, you're a human being, and you have to deal with those emotions. I kind of have a question regarding the retirement aspect of what your husband went through and the equation to that to the military when people separate and with the 22, the average of 22 veterans killing themselves every day. Mm-hmm. And you do see a suicide rate go higher with law enforcement and fire after they separate as well. Is there a part of it where we don't feel connected anymore to the organization and we're not sure that people around us understand what we went through and there's, there's a loss of connection that kind of goes that way. I mean, why is it after somebody retires that they're more likely to, to either not make it very long after retirement? What I mean by that is either heart attack or whatnot, or yes. they, or they die of their own hand. I think there's two different things happening there. I have had a couple of in-depth conversations with combat veterans and they do talk about, I have a couple that I've interviewed in my book and they do talk about that separating and the loss of family, especially if, if you've seen combat. So those people you're there with, they become your family. Your survival depends on one another and working together as a unit and a family. So they separate and they come back to the world. They don't have that, that connection to that community anymore. And so they come back to this world that doesn't understand what they've just lived through. I had one friend tell me, that initially he just felt like he would never know that level of community ever again. And so I think from what I understand, that's a huge piece of it. 
uh, in the military. In terms of the retirement piece, I think it's a combination. I think it is leaving that profession that's been such a big part of your world where you do work with people who understand you and understand what what you've seen and and endured and you know what you've experienced. And then also I think it is the accumulating stress and trauma that builds up over the years that when people retire and they haven't dealt with that, I think that many times it all comes rushing to the surface. So their plan was they would work a career for 30 years and endure all this stress and trauma. And then when they retire, they'll be happy. That's a lot of people have that plan. When I retire, I'm going to travel or I'm going to fish or whatever the plan is. And the story is then I'll be happy, but then they retire and that doesn't happen. Also, to your point about people not living long past retirement, sometimes uh, suicide rates are very high. We lose more firefighters and police officers to suicide every year than in line of duty deaths. Mm -hmm. We lose a lot post-retirement as well. And a lot of times those don't even get counted. So they might not even be in the, in, in the count, make many more than we know about. These professions are very taxing on human beings. And so it's often just not a very healthy group. So life expectancy is shorter in a lot of these professions. And when I say these things and when I think about this, it makes me so angry that we as a society are not taking better care of these people. You know, the way I view it now, it might sound dramatic, but I think we are sacrificing human beings to these professions. We as a society need to become aware of that and take much better care of the people who deal with our emergency crises, who save us and rescue us. We have got to take better care of our warriors. I'm trying to find the the book, and I, I think it became a movie as well. And it talks about the the warrior class, if you will. And that the idea that civilians or, or people who aren't part of the warrior class are happy to put them behind the proverbial break glass if needed to separate them, and they don't know how to to bring them back into into society. I think part of it is is not understanding. And I think part of it is not appreciating the what they are, and I say they part of that they, I guess, in the sense of the humor, the attitude, that aspect of it. And to put somebody who has not been around that uh, into the fold, sometimes they're shocked. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you another little, little story. One of our chiefs was retiring, police chief, and one of my friends was up on the stage roasting him, basically. <laughs> and everybody who was first responders, police officers, we were rolling. It was like comedy hour. It was great. It was just unbelievably funny. And, and Ron's a, Ron's a funny guy, but my wife taps him on the shoulder and she goes, look at all those other people. And so like, you know, the people that were there from the Lions club and from the chamber of commerce, and they just were stone faced, like not understanding why we thought that com that, why that was so, so funny. So there is a divide between those of us that are, are, on one side of the line and those of us that are on the other side of the line. And I think that we have to do a better job of, I want to say we have to do a better job. Those that aren't part of the warrior class, if you will, to understand that culture. And maybe I'm being too tough on the, 
on those that who aren't part of the culture because they, it's, I don't know. I, I mean, it always seems like as us, as the guys who've been there in the middle of the thick of it, have to kowtow and, and understand the civilians or the non-responders and be very careful how we say things because we don't want to offend. And I think that kind of puts us in a bind sometimes. I, I Just me thinking out loud, what do you think? No, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I actually addressed this in my book. Uh, one of, uh, more than one of the first responders that I interviewed in my book talked about black humor. And it's something that my military and veteran and, you know, first responder friends will talk to me about. And I address it in the book. And I really believe this. If human beings are doing this brutal work of warriors, seeing things and dealing with things that most of us will never see in a lifetime. And they're not allowed to feel their actual emotions. I mean, you can't be in an emergency situation or a critical incident and sit down and start crying because you're taking care of business. You go back with to work or whatever, and the cultures have dictated. We don't process our emotions. We don't cry. We don't, there's no touchy-feely stuff here. We're warriors. We do our job. So doesn't it make sense that being human beings and having emotions, you need to let those emotions out in some way? So if you're not allowed to cry and feel sad and, and, and depressed, but you can tell a, an inappropriate joke or, you know, use black humor and at least laugh, there's some place for that emotion to go. That's at least a little bit of an outlet, you know, let a little bit of steam out of the pot. One of my friends was talking about this very thing, a firefighter and how they have used black humor over the years. And, but now, you know, they realize they have to be much more careful than ever before because just like you just said, civilians hear that and they think it's just so inappropriate and ugly because they just, they don't understand the context. So yeah, I agree with you. Civilians, they just don't understand. I've said for many, many years, because when I was young in high school and college, I waited tables and tended bar and those kind of jobs. And I always say, I feel that every human being should have to serve other people. <laughs> I feel like every human being should have to wait tables and, and clean up after people and tend bar. And then everybody would be nicer when they go to a restaurant. And maybe it's the same with civilians and, uh, and emergency responders and, and the warriors that are doing these difficult jobs. Maybe every human being should have to do some kind of a ride along <laughs> so that they would understand what these people are dealing with and have a better understanding of you know, one aspect is that they use black humor to cope with it sometimes. The level of understanding between, you know, civilians and, and warriors needs to improve for sure. We, those of us that join into either the military, police, fire service, um, that take, we tend to be those that want to serve the community. And we tend to be those that are service-oriented, servant leaders, if you will. And it's interesting to see that transition at a point in your career where you go, I don't like the people that I'm serving any longer. Right? Yes, that's very common. <laughs> you, 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 you know, it's just like, mm-hmm. oh my God, if I'm going to go on another one of those those calls again, I'm just going to, I'd rather just punch myself in the eye. When that transition happens, is that person more likely to have issues after retirement than say, the person who who doesn't get jaded and, and, and crusty? You know, I don't know about that, but I do think for all of us, I, I don't know if I can answer that specific question, but I think for everybody in these helping professions, maintaining your compassion for human beings 
is important. And I understand, believe me, how people lose that compassion, uh, how people become jaded and apathetic because you guys see the worst of the worst. You have like a front row seat to the worst of the worst. But gosh, and I see this on both sides. So for instance, let's take the police. So the police starts to hate the community. The community starts to hate the police. And everyone's just, you know, against each other. But what they're not realizing, if they can stay in their compassion, is that the police are traumatized and doing their best job to deal with daily trauma. And the community is traumatized. And, you know, you got two very traumatized populations coming at each other. Nobody's understanding the other. And this all might sound kind of touchy-feely, hippy-dippy. But in the people that I've encountered, that I've had real conversations with, the ones that I've interviewed, uh, the people that I work with in the healing retreats that I, that I work with, the ones that suffer the most are the ones who have lost their compassion. Mm, that makes sense, I think. You can reconnect with your compassion and empathy and still do your job. And so now you're starting to see people, even from the inside, I'm, I'm talking to somebody right now who is, uh, works in EMS, and he's working to create uh, compassion training in his own profession because he says he's noticing that some of the veterans and the, the people that have been around for a while in EMS, he's starting to notice that they are, they, they're just becoming very apathetic and they've lost that level of, of compassion for people. And, you know, you can sort of lose your edge probably as a professional, I'm guessing. But I understand how people get there. Absolutely. I've been there. I have literally uttered the words, I hate people more than once. I've heard that so many times across professions. <laughs> yes. I understand that we're there for them. And, and I, it's, it's a hard word for me to say. It's when I say that and, and it, and it kind of hurts my heart a bit because again, I, I got into this when I was a kid. I mean, I was 18 years old when I first started doing this and it was because I, I had this desire to, to help people and to make the world a better place and to do it maybe one call at a time and to not a Ricky rescue in the sense of like, I want to be the guy to save lives, but in the sense of the idea of, I want to be part of the team that goes out and makes a difference. And I did everything. I did rope rescue and cave rescue and, and all these kind of high speed, low drag things when I was a kid. And, you know, I joined the military and I, and I did the, the corpsman stuff, with the Marines and, and I wanted to be in the mix. I always want to, still kind of want to be in the mix, to be honest with you. I'm old, but I still kind of have that desire sometimes. Mm-hmm. But then just the kind of, the, the grinding calls that you go on where people are just complaining about their toe hurting or whatever, and you're just like, three o'clock in the morning, what is your problem? And can't you just drive yourself to the hospital? And I've seen 5,000 of these. and And then you take a deep breath and you have to remember that this might be your hundredth time in this day that you saw that call, but it's their first. It's their first time seeing that and they're scared and they're looking towards you for help. And yeah, every once in a while you have those people that are jerks, but that doesn't make up for the guy who's, you know, 80 years old and just fell down and is scared. And that's, he's just help, looking for help. It's actually, it's funny that you talked about somebody whose toe is hurting because I was 
teaching in service for a fire department recently, and they had a whole story about a call for tow paint. <laughs> it's just funny that you use the same. It's legit. The they, 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 it's like, it's, it happens. You know, I, you know, I've, it's funny because you, you do, you run those calls at three o'clock in the morning for somebody who stubbed their toe or whatever the issue is. And, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and you do, and you go, Oh my God, why did you wake me up for this? You know? Yeah. Uh, or somebody who's been sick for, for days and it just is what it is. And, and I think that's just the, the nature of the beast. But I think after you run hundreds of those calls, you, you just kind of get over it and, and people can become whiny. And I think that's when you need to really take, I think we need to do a better job of recognizing when the stress is happening on the job and to be able to pull those people out of rotation just for a little bit send them on a vacation, forced vacation. What I mean by that is, you know, not, not unpaid days off like a punishment, but like you really need to go to a spa. Like a mental something. health break. Yeah, right. We need a little mental health break here. Yeah, you know. Do you think that that lack of compassion or that apathy sometimes develops as self-protection? It, it can. And I'll tell you an interesting story for myself. And it was a long long time and there was a period of time in my in my life and I didn't even recognize it that I couldn't see the color of people's eyes when I worked on them they were just they were you know void uh, what I mean by that is like I couldn't tell you if there's blue eyes green eyes doesn't make a difference it's just you know I, I could see the people and the people do his thing and but I, I couldn't see I couldn't tell you what the color of people's eyes were and I remember one day when I was on this call that came back to where I could see and it's just striking to me that I was like holy crap this person has blue eyes and and I and then I realized oh my god I didn't I never looked at them as being human for a long time I saw them as being as a, if a mechanic would bring you bring a car to your mechanic and they see an engine and they might be able to tell it's a, a Toyota engine versus a Honda engine but it's an engine nonetheless and I think that's how I looked at, at human beings for a very long time uh, until, you know, I, I think I got my compassion back, if you will. Yeah. So it's a fine line you guys walk. It's a very fine line because you can't become emotionally overwhelmed with each and every citizen that you interact with or that would do you in fast. And so you have to have some sort of self-protection you have to have some sort of professional mode that you go into so you can just do the work but then there's that emotional impact that's inevitable and i think sometimes the professional mode causes you to shut down that inevitable emotion that that comes with the work and so i mean i see how that happens and i see how people over time then just when they work they go into professional mode and all compassion and, and empathy that they might have otherwise had, they just shut it off. Mm. And I think that can help you get through the job. I think that can help you get through this incident, you know, but it builds up. So one story I've heard many, many times from first responders, many of them have talked about going on calls and dealing with children yeah. that are injured or killed. And that they had children at home that looked like that child or the same age as that child. 
and the only way they can possibly deal with that is to shut down all those emotions. But what we know is when you turn off an emotion, you turn off all your emotions. Mm -hmm. The emotions are turned off or they're turned on. Mm -hmm. And so in the big picture of your career and then in the smaller picture of call by call, job by job, we are teaching warriors to how to use mindfulness to one, you know, release the call you're leaving because call to call and day to day, you are expected to bring your best self to every citizen, right? So you have a particularly difficult call, some kind of a crisis, and then you get your next call. Well, most people are either, you know, turning everything off or unwittingly dragging that previous call into the next one or that you know that previous incident into the next one you're still emotionally charged or whatever that is and so i and the other trainers this is what we're trying to share with warriors first responders people who are doing this work teaching people to kind of go you know turn inward go to their own inner use the breath and you know how you can start to release some of that Allow yourself to feel it. Allow yourself to deal with it so that you can move forward in your profession healthfully. I want to take a quick break here. And when we come back, I'd like to get some tips that people can use today during this corona response to help them deal with this crisis. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we connect people with the latest technology possible, whether it's mesh networking, augmented reality, or real-time translation, allowing people who need help to find help immediately. Better matters because lives matter. Welcome back from that quick break, and thank you so much for listening to our our sponsors, because without them, we could not bring you the quality content that we're bringing. And please reach out to them and let them know that you heard them here on EM Weekly. Before we went on to the break, we were kind of getting into some techniques that we can use to deal with with stress. And during this time of the COVID slash Corona crisis that we have here in the United States and in the world, I'd like to get some tips from you on how nurses, paramedics, healthcare staff, I guess, doctors, and even the emergency managers and, and dispatchers. What, what can they use to get through this heavy call volume and this, and this fear that's happening out there today? I think the, the number one thing that these individuals have to remember is self-care is not a luxury. Self-care is very, very important right now. And self-care is not a bubble bath and dark chocolate and a glass of wine. Self-care is in some way tending to the self throughout the day, checking in to one's own mental and emotional and physical health and needs. And and that's absolutely crucial. Uh, I and the other trainers with Pause First, we are trying to gather resources and Uh, share resources out via the website and the YouTube channel and that, that people can grab and quickly use throughout their day. So for people who are on the front lines and going hard right now, probably the one single tip or tool 
that I would suggest everybody start using is breathing. Using the breath as a stress reliever. We have this built-in mechanism that if we'll use it on purpose, can help us slow down our internal system. It can help us regulate our breathing and therefore regulate our own internal landscape, but we have to use it on purpose. Mm-hmm. And and so we have, you know, just simple breathing exercises available. Ultimately, I really believe that every single person on this planet needs to learn about meditation and mindfulness because there's no more powerful practice than to learn to turn to your own internal landscape, your own inner, to breathe and to self-regulate. Think about all the areas of your life professionally and personally where self-regulation would be a powerful choice. The ability to regulate the breathing, to regulate the emotion when when you need to or want to, and the ability to calm and settle your own nervous system so that you can breathe, so that you can think clearly, so that you make better decisions, so that you respond instead of being reactive. But since we are in this crisis and now maybe not might not be the time for somebody to you know go learn meditation i think the breathing is this the number one tool and every single person that's out there on the front lines and everyone who's listening to this find some kind of a breathing exercise or just start using slow deep breathing to calm your own nervous system and slow things down i'm hearing of people going for days with no sleep, mm-hmm. under unbelievable pressure and stress, not eating much, definitely not eating well. And what happens over time, I mean, the, the human body can only take so much of that before it will start shutting down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Oof. Some uh, some heavy stuff, Kim. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I have I have such a deep desire and such a burning passion to reach people who are doing this work, this very crucial work that keeps our society going. And, you know, as I told you offline when we were visiting, just personally, my driving force is I want people to stop dying. Mm-hmm. And I definitely want people to stop dying by their own hand. People also die as a result of this work because their life expectancy is shorter or a line of duty death. Mm-hmm. I can't fix and save everybody. I mean, I, I wish I could wave a magic wand. I have, I, I, there's one little skill that I have, one little tool that I know about because it's something that I've practiced since I was a little girl and it's meditation, mindfulness. And so this is like my, what I can do. For warriors, one little personal practice I can share with people that I know if they will open their minds and hearts and embrace it and begin using these tools, it can definitely help. Kim, how can people find you? On the website at pausefirst.com, P-A-U-S-E-F-I-R-S-T, pausefirst.com. 
And there's a link there to the YouTube channel. And we also have a Facebook page, Pause First Mindfulness. And uh, there are a lot of free resources available right now. There are videos, relaxation audios. So just jump on the website, grab some earbuds, and take two minutes, three minutes for yourself to breathe and regulate and calm the nervous system. Kim, thank you so much for your time today. And it's, uh, it was a great conversation. And I do recommend to everybody out there to please go check out the website. And and please, during this time, take care of yourself as, as we're trying to take care of others. And, and don't forget to check the responder as well. Thank you, Todd, for the work that you do. Thank you for the podcast. And thank you to everyone out there who is on the front lines during these very scary times. Uh, There are many, many of us who have deep appreciation for what you guys do. Thanks again, Kim. Thank you.